Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace. Talkspace is a way for you to conveniently and in a very affordable way make lasting change in your life by working with a licensed therapist. Talkspace is it's actually online therapy. The way Talkspace works is they will match you with a licensed therapist. I've done this myself. You go through a series of questions and prompts, actually quite a lot of them, because matching you with the right therapist really is what makes a huge difference. And they have thousands of licensed therapists trained in 40 different specialties. So no matter what it is you're dealing with, they probably have a licensed therapist who specializes in that area, and they're going to find the right person for you. Once you're matched up with your therapist, you just start. And it's pretty cool because you can actually text your therapist or send them an audio or pictures or video messages from your phone, which makes it super convenient. You don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to you know, sit in a waiting room or anything like that. It's bottom line, life can be hard, right? And Talkspace wants to give you another option, more support at a price that almost anyone can afford. So as a listener of The Shaleen Show, you get $100 off of your first month with Talkspace. To match you with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com or just download the app. And then you want to make sure that you use the code Shaleen because that's going to get you $100 off your first month. And it's a wonderful way for you to show your support for the show and a wonderful way for some of you to experience therapy for the very first time. I encourage you to do this. Your mental health is more important than just about anything. Okay, again, that is Talkspace.com and enter the code Shaleen for $100 off. Hey there, welcome to this edition of The Shaleen Show. Today, I am going to be talking to my good friend, Jen Delvo. We went to high school together. We've been friends ever since. I was fortunate enough to have her fly out to New York while Brett and I were visiting there or staying there for the month and just got to spend some great time with her in the city just doing girl things and crafting and shopping and exercising and having deep conversations, deep conversations, some of which I never thought I would be having with one of my closest friends. Like, well, you'll hear in this episode, cancer has had a stronghold on her family for the last several years. And I wanted to bring this episode to you guys because I've heard from so many in the audience who either you've had a family member or a friend who's been diagnosed with cancer or you yourself have had a cancer scare or maybe you're struggling with it currently. And in this episode, whether or not you have cancer, I guarantee there's going to be somebody in your life who will at some point. And this is a really important episode to listen to because you want to say and do the right thing. And maybe you yourself will end up with a diagnosis, maybe not a cancer diagnosis, but a, a health scare. And I think this is a great episode to understand how important your intuition is. Jem was diagnosed herself with breast cancer in February of this year, and her husband also has cancer. He has brain cancer. Kind of crazy. They've got a great podcast. I highly recommend you subscribe to it because it's freaking hysterical. We spent a lot of time in this episode talking about her husband, and I'm telling you, you have to listen to their podcast. He is so funny, just authentically the funnest, nicest, most uplifted, funny human beings I know, and he's very entertaining. So you can check that out. It'll be in the show notes. You can also follow Jen on Instagram. She is Jen Delvo, D-E-L-V-A-U-X. Without further ado, my friend Jen. 
Today I have with me my close friend, dearest friend from high school, and an expert on cancer, really. I mean, by proxy, right? You've really had to become an expert on cancer. So Jen Delvaux, tell us a little bit first about your husband's initial diagnosis. Yeah, he was diagnosed in 2009. It was a complete shock, completely unexpected. He was just having some hard time like writing emails and just weird things like certain words he was having a really hard time spelling so he went to his doctor and and was it sudden that that started happening he just said to me we were out on a date and he's like it's so weird I'm having a hard time writing emails a simple email of five minute emails taking me a half hour to get through these words he said that to you for the very first time on that day he hadn't said this over the course of months it was just kind of like a one day thing he's like I'm having these weird symptoms okay and so so I said, well, that's weird, but I thought nothing of it. I said, right. just schedule an appointment with the doctor. So he did that. And then the doctor was like, you maybe have adult onset ADD. Mm. And he said, let's get you in with a psychiatrist or psychologist. So they did a whole evaluation on him. And he did amazing in so many things, but he failed miserably on the short-term memory. Mm. So they said something organic is going on. And then his doctor said, okay, let's just schedule an MRI. Like, I really don't think anything is going to come from this, but let's just get it scheduled just to be safe. So it was scheduled on my birthday Mm -hmm. and it was at nine o'clock at night. We went to dinner beforehand, just went to this quick little MRI. And then we were going to go out again to meet friends. I'll never forget the guy who got Darren the tech said, he'll be back in 45 minutes. I'm like, cool. And then it went past that 45 minutes And I was like, what's going on? And I started pacing. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the tech walking down the hallway towards me. Like all of a sudden, like bells started going. I was like, wait, why is he coming towards me without Darren? Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, Darren's in the changing room. And I'm like, and knowing Darren, he was probably like thinking this is taking longer than expected. I don't want her to worry. Darren walks in with an IV in his arm. Mm. And I'm like, what? is going on. He's like, I'm not sure. They saw something. We're going up to the ER. Mm. No, I know you because you're a little bit of a worrier. Yes. So, just and he's not. So does he look concerned? Does he look worried? No. Mm. You're thinking what now? Everything just went numb. I can see everything. I can visually see that day like it happened yesterday. I remember the walk from that little room to the ER. I remember everything. But I went into full-blown panic. Like I was having, like shaking a little bit. Like I was really cold and shaking. They kept bringing me blankets, but it was just fear that yeah. had set in. And then shortly after we got up to the ER, and they, tr- you know, you go to the ER and you, you're not typically treated like king and queen. Like no. you're like, so we, I knew it was bad. And they're like, can we get you water? What can we get you? And I'm like, well, what? this is really bad. So then the doctors came in and they said, we see a mass on your brain. He was like, okay. That was probably the last thing I heard. I just got violently ill. Like wow. I Because you think, you know, this happened in 2009, but you think brain cancer and you think immediately like death. Like I, I just thought I was going to lose him. That's all I could think of. I said I was losing my best friend. Now at that point, they said it was a mass. They hadn't even identified it as cancer, correct? correct. But you felt like it was for sure? I didn't really know what that meant. I really didn't. They said there was a lesion or a mass. like, And they wanted to keep him in the hospital. And Darren, he was a pharmacist, is like, no, 
I need to go home. In fact, they said to him, I can't believe you walked in here because there was swelling on his brain and it was tilting his cranium. So they were shocked that he had wasn't having like massive headaches or possibly seizure. They wanted to keep him and just like literally perform surgery the next day. And he's like, no, I need to go home. I need to figure some things out. And so they gave him a big dose of Decadron and we went home. So then when do you get your first diagnosis that this is indeed cancer? I can't even tell you how important it is the doctor you get. We didn't know this in the beginning. So we just went to the best surgeon that we knew of in our area. Our first appointment, before there was any biopsy done, before there was, you know, there was the image of the MRI, but you can't tell what type of tumor you have or grade Mm -hmm. when you just see a picture of it. I mean, maybe there's some characteristics, but you should never, or a doctor should never diagnose somebody without getting in there and actually doing the pathology on it. When you say getting in there to take a sample? uh, Yes. What's that called? Biopsy. Okay. During that first appointment, meeting with the surgeon for the first time, he said, this is going to be a glioblastoma. Did you immediately go to Google and say, what is a glioblastoma? No, because Darren said, well, what's my prognosis? He asked it right away. He did. And he and the doctor said, you have about like six to 12 months or 12 to 18 months. It was like a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. He said 12 to 18 months. At this point, he hadn't even done a biopsy. Nope. So he was just looking at an MRI? Correct. And told you it was a glioblastoma, and he told you right then and there, you have 12 to 18 months. Were you in the room when he gave Darren that prognosis? Yes. And how did he respond? How did you respond? He responded, his reaction was, well, that's not going to happen. I have kids. Did he, like, almost laughing? No, but just like, well, just like... Matter of fact. And I was a shell of myself. I was a mess. He was great. And he even said, okay, so... Did you ask any questions? Were you numb? Were you, I was what numb. were you doing? I was not a good advocate for him. In fact, my sister was there with us too, taking oh, notes. okay. So that was important, but I was just a shell of myself because this is just so shocking that this happened to us. And then he said to the doctor, he said, the other thing I want to make sure is that when you're in there performing the surgery, I would rather have quality life. Quality of life? over like living a long life and all of a sudden I can't speak or I can't use certain skills. Like, he's like, I want to be me. So if you get in there and you realize like you're going to hit something where I can't speak to my kids, I don't want to live like that. Wow. So th- so they scheduled us. He's like, okay, we have to get in right away yeah. to remove the tumor? Correct. I was a mess. I was a mess. Like I was like crying a lot. Like I even went to my doctor like to get on something to calm me down. I was doing different things like around the house. I just was keeping myself busy. So I really didn't know what we were dealing with. We knew it was most likely an astrocytoma, which is the glioblastoma family. And he, you know, when he said you have 12 to 18 months, I really didn't know any of the details. And it was so quick. It was like his surgery was that week, just a couple days later. It wasn't like we had time to even process. I did all of my research after I knew he was okay. But even like the, the doctor is so important. Even after Darren's surgery, he came into the room and I'm like, how's he doing? And he's like, I still think it's a glioblastoma, grade four. I put a chemo wafer on the bed of the tumor, which is so stupid. Now I know, but he probably shouldn't have even have done that without consulting with us first. But that basically took Darren out of any trials and it only extends your life by about three weeks. Wow. Yeah. He still said in that moment, still dealing with probably a grade four, and I we won't know if he can speak until he wakes up. Okay, so he goes through the first surgery and yeah, and then he and he does great. It's a grade two. It's not anything what the doctor said. 
So grade two acts very, it can be slow growing. He didn't do any other treatment after that, just the surgery to remove it because they were concerned with radiation and chemo that can have a lot of side effects. And sometimes a grade two can act really slow. So about 18 months later, it came back. But meantime, I had been doing my research. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been looking into nutrition and other things and bringing it to Darren. And so I kind of like knew what we were dealing with now. And when it came back 18 months later, we knew we were not going to stay in Michigan. Mm. They didn't have what we needed anyway. He really needed to have an awake surgery, so we went to MD Anderson. And this is in, what, 2011? Yes, 18 months later. Like, a grade two should not come back 18 months later. So we, the surgeon at MD Anderson thought he was misdiagnosed from the beginning. Mm. Okay, so now he goes and does a second surgery. Correct. And each time they do a surgery, they're removing a part of his brain? They're trying to not remove his brain. They're trying just to remove tumor. But it it does. Like each time he's had a little bit more deficits. The one in MD Anderson, it's so amazing what they can do. There's so much testing beforehand before they even go into that surgery. And it was a 10 hour long surgery and he was awake for three hours of it. He had a lot of struggles after that one though. He had a stroke. Like that was the year that I remember thinking, it'll be a miracle if he's still here in a year. Because he had so many complications, and they it means so many things. I could go on forever with that one. That's a whole podcast in itself. Yeah, which, by the way, you have a podcast where you've detailed a lot of this. So yeah. while we're going to talk about cancer in general, we're going to talk about how to cope with a diagnosis. And what you can do as someone who has a loved one with a serious diagnosis, whether it's cancer or some other disease, there's things we can do that are helpful and things we can do that are hurtful. And and that's for the person who's been diagnosed as well as the people who are supporting that person, surrounding that person, or want to know how to. And we're going to talk about those things because I, I think Darren had just a remarkable way of dealing, coping, and handling the prognosis from a mindset standpoint. So today, so we had another surgery, 2019, and it went to originally what we thought the doctor had said. I mean, it was a glioblastoma. So it was a grade four is a glioblastoma. What does grade refer to? Grade is the characteristics that your type of tumor has, like how aggressive it's going to be. I see. As of today, Darren has a grade four brain cancer or astrocytoma. It's in the astrocytoma family. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't have a glioblastoma because what they're realizing is somebody who is diagnosed right away, their first diagnosis of brain cancer is a glioblastoma, is going to act very differently than one that starts off as a lower grade and increases. Because typically, when somebody is diagnosed with cancer, it comes back as a higher grade. Mm, okay, But it acts differently than somebody who starts off with the highest grade. Mm-hmm. That so sense? yeah, it does. By all standards, he has defied the odds, obviously. Completely. He never really accepted from the beginning. He was just like, uh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Yes, exactly. And I remember after that first prognosis, diagnosis, whatever you want to call it, I remember you telling me like, he never asked after that, like, Mm-mm. what is my life expectancy? You know, how do things look for me in the future? How much time do I have left? He never freaking asked that question. Is that right? Correct. Never. So let's talk about some of the things that you think have really helped him to be as healthy and as strong and to thrive Mm -hmm. in the last, what's it now been, 13 years? Yeah. And because you have other family members who've had glioblastomas. Right. Which is crazy. Yes. Mindset all day long for him. His attitude, 
is so incredible. He just have, has, he's even set goals for himself too. Like he wanted to see our daughter Maddie graduate from high school. And now it's his goal to see Drew. And he just, I don't even really think he thinks about that, but he also is talking about our future all the time. You know, like where we're going to go when we retire, like we're always planning stuff. He doesn't ever think of this as a death sentence ever. The other thing that I think that we've done is we've had the conversation of death, mm. deep conversations, like after his last brain surgery, because we there was some concern. And so we've had those deep conversations, like the what if, how is this going to look, what's going to happen? And it was gut-wrenching and really hard, but also beautiful at the same time. Mm. So we've talked about it all. So I think that when you talk about it, it takes the fear out of it a little bit. Did you do that with a therapist, with the help of a therapist? Did you guys seek counseling? Oh, yes. Over the years, for sure. But not necessarily about this. Not about Darren's fear with cancer. Mm. He's never had it. What about your fears? Yes, for sure. I needed therapy. So did it help you to even enter into that conversation to be able to work through your feelings yes. with a therapist? Yes. Did that also kind of lift that fear that you were feeling in the initial stages that then turned into curiosity and research? Mm-hmm. I don't think that the therapy helped me with the research part of it. I just started researching. I think the therapy helped me figure out a way to approach this with Darren. Mm. Because, you know, I didn't, again, it's a hard conversation to have when you're talking about the possibility of death with somebody. And I didn't want to even put that in his head, but I could tell that he wanted to talk about it because he was saying things and he was like, he'd joke around about it. Like, I want this song at my funeral. And it just happened to be one night where we just dove deep into it. But Mm. the research came along when he, you know, after that first diagnosis after the first surgery, Mm -hmm. and then going forward with all the other surgeries. Darren's not here with us right now, but can you give us, and of course, I'll link to your podcast in our show notes, because I want you guys to meet Darren. I want you to hear his voice and understand who it is we're talking about, because he's just so much fun. He's (laughs) He's a riot. He is so freaking hysterical. He's one of my favorite people to be around. The way he is so lighthearted around his diagnosis and cancer in general Mm -hmm the things that he's had to endure in his brain surgeries, et cetera. Like he makes a lot of jokes about it. And can you describe for us, if you could, when you say mindset, like what specifically, tell me things that he would never do and things he was careful to do. The funny thing that he says all the time is he'll say, when I, when we're sharing our podcast, you know, in the beginning, we do a quick introduction and I'll talk about like his story and he'll be like, allegedly have, oh, can- has, have brain cancer. So, that's huge. Yeah. So he doesn't believe, he doesn't focus on it, but he also will say he doesn't think about it at all. Like he does. He, he'll think about it for a moment and let any of those feelings out. And then he goes on with his day and he's super funny and he's just, he laughs every day. I bet he thinks about him having cancer maybe five or 10 minutes out of a day. I mean, if that even, like, I don't even know if he thinks about it daily. From the beginning, what did the doctors that were treating him, did did they notice how he handled it? And you have other family members who've had cancer. How do you see Darren responding differently? Oh my gosh, a thousand percent differently. So my stepmom, weirdly, was diagnosed with brain cancer with a glioblastoma as Darren was on, this was after his second round of cancer, like after his second surgery, he was on chemo. She was diagnosed. So this like around 2011? This is, yeah, 2012 was when she died. So she, for her, immediately 
the second she found out she had it, she just knew like her life was over. She knew or she decided? She, I think a little bit of both because she's a very... Well, I hate to say that because a glioblastoma is a very aggressive brain cancer. So I don't want to like make anybody who's dealt with that or a family member that has dealt with that think like, oh, they should have had a better mindset and they would have lived longer. So I don't think that's part of it. But she went to her doctor and said, when is this going to kill me? And she died like truly almost to the day, nine months later. Wow. Yeah. So... Listen, I don't know, like I hate to say that it's that mindset is everything because I do feel bad for those people that lost their lives. Of course. They, you know what I mean? Yeah. But Darren is just Rejected he's a miracle. <laughs> and I've and I've been in groups like on Facebook where it's glioblastoma groups, and I'm I have to remove myself because we're not even close to that. And and it almost makes other people that have glioblastomas like, why is it working so well for him? Mm. We don't know why. I mean, I truly believe it's his attitude and his mindset. You know, it's funny how, you know, like some people when they're diagnosed, they dive into all the extras that they can be doing to save their life. Mm -hmm. Darren doesn't do that. He still lives his life like he did prior to his diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it just opened his eyes a little bit and he appreciates things and he appreciates the little things. But as far as changing his life, not really. It's changed your life and you've become you know, a great patient advocate and you've learned everything you possibly could about cancer, you learned pretty quickly that just because someone is an authority Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you just absolutely go with what they say. Like, I remember you like calling off the jam because you're like this, wait a second, there's something up that just doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And being an advocate for your husband and really like digging into the research and knowing all the questions to ask and figuring out who the best experts were. And all of that has obviously helped you personally now because you had another cancer scare in the last year. Tell us about that. So this was me. Crazy. How does that happen? Husband and wife? I, it's insane. So I went in just for a routine mammogram and they called me back. When? This is in February. And they called me back to do a repeat mammogram and ultrasound. I was like, okay, fine. This will be nothing. Yeah. No big deal. This happens. It's not a big deal. And it truly does happen. Like 90% yeah. of people. I've been called back. Nothing. Now, knowing you, mm-hmm. and like, so I've had that happen where I have to go back and do a follow up mammogram. But when you already have cancer in your family and you get called back, and you're already someone who worries. How did you deal with it when they're like, oh, we need you to come back? I wasn't worried. Great. I truly thought there's no way. Sure. I thought there's no way. How could it? So I go to this silly little, even, this is weird too. She did say to me on the phone when we were scheduling the repeat mammogram, she's like, do you want to know which breast? And I was like, oh, sure. And in my head, I kept going left, left. It's in mm. my left, it's in mm. my left. And then she said, it's your left. I was like, Weird. And I've never felt anything ever to be truly honest and transparent. I wasn't doing the monthly self breast exams. I wasn't doing any of that, but I've never felt like a lump. And even when she said left, I kind of felt around. I'm like, I don't feel anything. So, but I, so I still thought this is nothing. And so we went to, I went to the ultrasound and they do the pictures. You know, well, in our area, I think this is a, it's how it is in a lot of different areas, but you go in, you do the ultrasound, or you do the repeat mammogram. Okay. If they still see it, yep. then you move on to the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And then, right, and then if they don't see anything there, then you go home. But if they see something still, then you'd meet with a the doctor. Mm-hmm. So I do the mammogram, and they're like, 
yeah, we're still seeing it. Actually, the first picture didn't, she couldn't find it. I was like, sweet. And then she's like, no, I'm still seeing it. I'm like, okay. And then we go back for the ultrasound. And I'm a, maybe slightly more nervous, but not really. And then she just looks really serious. And she's in this one spot for a really long time. And then she's over under my arm for a really long time. And she was just very serious. And then she said, I'll be back with the doctor to go over your results. And I was like, I, I knew it wasn't good, but I still thought there's no way. Doctor comes in, just the nicest guy, but just so sad. Like, I wish doctors would come in and be like, what's up? Well, we see something, but I think it's going to be fine. Like, I wish that's how doctors were. And he came in, he was like, so you're really not feeling anything on that left side? I'm like, no. And he's like, well, we are seeing a lesion, so we need you to do a biopsy. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, this could be cancer. And I'm like, okay. He's like, do you have questions? I'm like, nope. I'm like, just get me out of there. So I get home. I drive home. I'm fine. I actually talked to my neighbor because she had just gone through this. And she's like, well, at least they didn't call you back for a, a, a biopsy right then and there. I'm like, true. 15 minutes, I'm home and the phone rings. And it's the hospital again. And they're like, hey, so the doctor really went over your report. We're pretty sure this is going to be cancer. We need you back. ASAP, first thing, seven in the morning. And then I lost it. Mm. Does breast cancer run in your family? No, I don't. And I did the whole genetic testing. I don't carry that gene. In fact, all my research now, people think that there's only a small percentage that have that BRCA gene. It's typically somebody that doesn't have that is a higher percentage. of It's one in eight women, and not all of them have the BRCA gene. One in eight women will have breast cancer? Yes. In their lifetime? One yep. in eight. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you lose it. When do you tell Darren, your husband? Right then. We're all together. And how was his response when it was you versus him? He was really good. He was strong. I was the, you know, I've always been the strong person for him. Always. Except for that beginning. That Those first few days, I was like a shell of myself. I didn't even know what I was doing. After that, I shut down all of my emotions. But that's not a good thing either. And I was a strong person for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden, here it's me. And it was the weirdest thing, dealing with this, not even understanding who I was. Because I think the second you hear the words cancer, for me anyway, I went worst case scenario. See, this is how Darren and I are so different. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, what if it's all over my body? You know, you just start, my mind went to the craziest places until... I saw my breast surgeon and I was like, I walked in, I'm like, listen, my husband has brain cancer. I can't have this. Like, if you need to do, take my breast, like whatever you need to do, I need to be here for my kids. Like that was all I cared about. And she's like, girlfriend, you're going to be fine. I was like, oh my God. Like since that, since that appointment, which was a couple days after that, I finally felt like, okay, I got this. Mm. It's a doctor. It's how the doctor talks to you. Gosh, Yes. We interrupt this broadcast to answer frequently asked questions about CBD. It's crazy how many questions I get about this topic and how many misconceptions there are about CBD. First of all, CBD, there are many different forms. There's many different types. And you can buy it now at your local gas station. Because it's not regulated by the FDA, you need to be hella careful about using a very reputable company. Some things you need to understand about CBD. First, the type of CBD 
CBD that my soul CBD produces is a pure CBD, which means you can't get high from it. There is no THC, which is the part of the plant that gives you that hallucinogenic or the high characteristics that people refer to. My soul CBD is a an isolate. There's no other ingredients. It's pure. And the other reason why I love my soul CBD is because they actually care about the manufacturing process, how it's farmed, how it's packaged, quality control, and taste. CBD oils are very much like protein powders. Like there's some stuff on the market because it's not regulated where you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what you're paying for. You don't know what you're putting in your body. And that's why it is so imperative that you go with a company that actually cares about the reputation and the quality of their ingredients and has that brand integrity. And that's why I recommend My Soul CBD. I encourage you to give them a try and get 15% off by going to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. You'll get 15% off. All right. So what should you pick up your first time? Well, I'm a big fan of the watermelon flavored dropper oils you just put under your tongue or you can put it in a drink. If you're not into oils, their gummies are like quite tasty, I might add. Their new sleepy gummy, those are remarkable. Those are my three picks. Try yours now and the whole line of CBD products by going to mysoulcbd.com. Again, it's mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. And that's the important part because that's going to give you 15% off automatically at checkout. If you want to enter a code, you can. It's code 15, but you shouldn't need to. You should just be able to just go directly to that link, mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. All right, back to the show. So where are you today? So I did a lumpectomy right away, removed it. It is a stage one, grade two invasive ductal carcinoma. There was a point where I did have chemo on the table. And because my oncotype score, which is whenever somebody is diagnosed with breast cancer, they send your tumor off and they find out how it's going to respond to chemo. So the chances of it coming back. Like if you have chemo, what are the chances of it coming back if you don't? Like what are the, you know, the stats on that? We almost did it. And I didn't. And I still have a little worry about that. Like should I have done it? But I do so many other things. So Darren, you know, who didn't really do much other than still lived his life and laughed and did all the things, I drastically changed so much. So me having control of it mm-hmm. has helped me without having the fear of it coming back. Like a lot of people worry women who have been diagnosed with this is the fear of it coming back. Are you able to say you're cancer-free right now? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird too. That's the other weird thing is, you know, Darren with his brain cancer, it was like every, in the beginning, like three months you're doing an MRI with me. It's, I haven't done anything since I had it removed and I did radiation. Okay. So I did, and now I'm at a robotase inhibitor. to see It's a year year mark. Yeah, it's a year mark. Okay. So you both handled it a little differently in terms of how you felt in control, if you will. And you dove into, I'm going to be my own advocate. I'm going to do all the research. I'm going to look at Eastern and Western approaches. And you kind of did a combo, would you say? Yes. Okay. And Darren, on the other hand, decided the way I'm going to take control is by not allowing this to control me. I'm almost going to ignore it. Like I'm going to listen to what the doctors say, but... How did he look at Eastern Western? He didn't believe in any of that, but I think it's because he is a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. So he fully believes in the drugs Mm -hmm. where I'm the opposite. 
I don't like to take the drugs. I don't yeah. love to do that. Like even when, if he's sick with even a cold, he like loads up on all the things where I'm like, what are all the natural things that I can do? You know what I mean? I'll go to the sauna and do other things. I'm a little bit, not jealous, but I look at him like as an inspiration for what I'm going through because I look at things like, oh my gosh, should I be drinking this and eating that? Like he doesn't care. Yeah. He eats and drinks whatever he wants to drink. Like I wish I had that. Mm, mm. Yeah, but it's also that balance because, like, his mindset is there's no question. Have you seen the documentary called Heal? Yes. So, if you guys haven't seen that documentary, it's really quite fascinating and remarkable. If you have any kind of prognosis or diagnosis or uh, anything that has taken a hold on your life in terms of your health, Mm -hmm. definitely watch this, even an autoimmune disease, because it just really sheds so much light on the profound impact that your beliefs and your mindset and your lifestyle have on any type of illness. I fully believe that. Stress, we cannot underestimate the power of stress. Mm -hmm. So like what you did was right for you because it helped you bring down your stress. What he did is right for him because it brought his stress down. Exactly. So I want to help those people who are listening who they have a friend or family member. Well, first, what suggestions do you have for people who have just recently been diagnosed? They themselves. Don't research. Don't research? No. Huh. But then how do you know what to do? Like when you're first diagnosed, I I really recommend taking it one day at a time. Don't look at all the things. I did not research my own diagnosis in the beginning because I didn't want to see anything that would scare me. And there's so much on the internet that is scary. Yes. When I did all the research for Darren, it was fine. Like I knew what to look at. I could like sort through things. Like I got it. It didn't scare me. But looking at my own thing, like I just didn't want that in my head. I researched the things that will benefit me. You know, like I did look at diet and nutrition and all those things, but I think in the beginning, you just have to go slow and just take it one step at a time. I think the other thing that people do too is they're like, you know, like, oh my gosh, I have to do surgery and chemo and they start researching all the things. Just get through the surgery first. Mm. What do you need to do to get through the surgery? What about your surgeon? How do you even know if what they're planning is the right course of action? How do you question and how do you go about doing that research when doing that research feels like you're calling into question the expertise of your doctor. Yeah, that's important. I did actually ask friends. I asked family. I put it out on social media, a good surgeon. Because again, what happens is, as you get the diagnosis, when you don't know what you're doing, they're like, do you have an oncologist? Do you have a surgeon? I'm like, no, I don't. And so she said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll line all this up. Here's your doctor. So they they immediately like set you up with all the appointments and all the doctors. And I was like, okay. And then I started researching those doctors. And then people around me said, no, you need to go to this person. And I kept hearing it from everybody. People would travel to come to her. She's like the best breast surgeon in town. And I was like, okay. And then when I met with her and I loved her and I loved her style and she's like, girl, you got this. Mm. I knew I was in good hands. So you do need to do research on your surgeon, for sure. That's important. And and you can research as you go along. I just don't think you should research your diagnosis. Okay. I guess that's what I'm saying. Research what you should be doing, what you can do, what you can control. But, you know, like your diagnosis, you can't control. You can't change that. So tip number one, if you've just been diagnosed, is don't go down the internet rabbit hole. Correct. What else would you say don't do? Just don't get overwhelmed. Don't. One thing that I I will say that I did because if you put it out there in the social media world, mm-hmm. everybody's gonna oh. everybody's gonna want to say, 
oh, I relate to you. My aunt, my whoever died from the same thing. So what I did right away... Would you say don't then go to social media because you're just going to get a lot of bad advice? Maybe not. not, But I think that a lot of people do share. And you know, that's my whole life is on social media. So what I said was, I want nothing negative. I don't want to hear about your aunt or cousin or friend or girlfriend, or I don't want to hear any of that. I don't want to hear poor Jenny. I don't want to hear, I didn't want any sadness. I wanted, you're going to kick ass. And you told people this. So you you gave them boundaries. You said, listen, you can reach out to me, but here's what I don't want. That does help. I do that in social a lot too. I'll be like, don't say this. And people usually, not all, but people can be pretty good about that. So were they? Mostly, you know, but then if it was like a week later and I started posting about it and I hadn't said that in the beginning, you know, then you hear, you get those, like, my my cousin died from that. I just think that (laughs) I know you want to say, I get what you're going through. I can relate to you, but just don't. You don't need to. What I loved is somebody that would say, hey, my aunt had this and kicked ass. She's doing amazing. Or I had somebody reach out to me when I was worried about, like I said, I hate you know, pharmaceuticals. And I was worried about taking this aromatase inhibitor that I'm on. I had somebody who was just celebrated her 80th birthday. And she said, I was diagnosed at 50, do whatever it takes. And I was like, yes. Like, I love hearing stuff like that. You tell me you're having success and you're doing amazing. All those stories. Don't tell me about somebody that passed away from it. Your best friend just found out they have cancer. What is the next tip you're going to give them. Like if it was your sister who just found out she was diagnosed, you'd say, do this, do this, do this. Well, don't overwhelm yourself, which is like diving into all the things that you need to do. Meditation. Oh. I had so much fear in me in the beginning. Like when I had to go to my first, the biopsy appointment, I was like even thinking, how am I going to drive myself? And this is COVID days. So Darren can't go with me to any appointments. And I grabbed my phone and I just pulled up an un, it's the app Unplug. It's a meditation app. And I laid there and I found this meditation. It was under stress and anxiety. And it was called Your Super Calm. And it was the first time I felt peace. And it gave me the tools, like even through the biopsy, how to calm myself. And I have not stopped meditating since. So that was, yeah, that was a big one. I think the other thing that has really helped me is doing things that have nothing to do with it. Like step away from it, even in the beginning. Like go work out, go walk outside, go out to dinner with your husband and just forget about it for a little bit. I know it's there, but just do things to distract yourself while you're waiting. Because there is so much waiting when you're in the beginning stages of it. You're trying to figure out like what you're doing next and the doctors are coming up with a plan or you're waiting on the pathology report. Distract yourself with fun things. What would you say to that person who is who's supporting a friend mm-hmm. or a family member who has cancer mm-hmm. or maybe even a coworker? Yeah. So can we go through a list of like do's and don'ts? Yeah. The number one, and this is from me. Everybody's sure. different and somebody may think differently of a certain thing and they may be okay with it. But for me is don't definitely don't ask their prognosis. I think when you're asking somebody their prognosis, you're basically asking like when are you going to die? Yes. So don't ask that. That's the number one thing. Listen. Just listen. Wait, okay. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. I find out that close family member is diagnosed with cancer. I don't know anything about that. Sometimes the reason why people are asking for a prognosis, and I know sometimes they're just nosy. 
right? And we, our brains don't like unknowns. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to cancer, I think for so long, that word meant like a death sentence for people. And so they want to know, like, how much do I have to worry? And if it's a family member, I can see someone wanting to know, like, they're really asking, like, how serious is Mm -hmm. this? And so is there a way to ask how much do I need to worry or how serious is this without offending somebody? I would ask their spouse. In what way? Somebody could ask Darren, like, how is she really doing? But not me, you know, like, or Google it. Like, I put on everywhere. It's it's open. I have an invasive ductal carcinoma, stage one, grade two. You can Google it. You know what I mean? I don't because I don't even know the prognosis. Mm -hmm. I don't know the prognosis of that. Because it's irrelevant. It's a percentage, right? You're going to be the exception is one of the ways you view it. Yeah. And this is a really interesting thing that Darren said on one of our podcasts. He said, this is after he was diagnosed with a glioblastoma. You know, when a glioblastoma prognosis is not great, it's like 12 to 18 months. He said, yeah, if somebody asked me, I'm just going to tell him, yeah, like about a year and a half. (laughs) And so he's like, I'm like, yeah, you don't want, what are you going to, how are you going to respond to that? So don't ask that question. You may not want to hear what their response is. Yeah. I guess I just, from the standpoint of someone who's a family member who wants to, like, do I need to plan a trip? Do I need to travel across the country to be with my mom? You know, like I can understand from a family member standpoint, like why they're trying to figure out, like, is this a big deal or is this something that we got it. Like, is there any other way you could suggest that people would ask that without it being so blunt? Well, I think it's very different when it's your family and close friends mm. asking that. But again, it's, you know, it's different. It's when it's somebody who's like a coworker yeah. or just somebody online that you don't really know or somebody you're running into says, oh, what's your prognosis? That's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But if it's a family member, it's okay. But really, if you can, just Google it first. Yeah. Maybe talk to their spouse if they're married or somebody that's around them and figure out some of it. What's another example of something that's just not helpful? My aunt died of the same thing. <laughs> but I think that's people try to relate. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, I have a friend who I get you want to relate, you want to help people to normalize it. But when they are sharing something that they believe they have in common, it's not always positive. Correct. So it could either, first of all, be something really negative. Oh, my aunt had that and died. Right. Thanks. That's not helpful. No, never want to share that. But that happens all the time. Are you serious? All the time. Why are people so dumb? You know, I have a whole group of women that have gone through this. I have a million different things that people have said like, oh, give us a few. You're going to get a free boob job out of this. It's awful. Don't worry about your hair. It's going to grow back. That's a really hard one for women. And I will tell you, I've talked with so many women now, and losing their hair is probably the hardest thing. Because it's It's part of your identity. It's your femininity. It feels that way. The thought of losing my hair made me look like a sick person. Mm. And I never wanted anybody to feel sorry for me. So that was a hard one for me. Um, And those statements are people's attempts. I'm like going to be the double advocate over here because I think we've all made these mistakes and not meaning to to do harm. And I've heard people say, oh, what kind of cancer is it? Oh, that's the good cancer. Or that's a, oh, that's a super treatable cancer. Or, well, you'll be fine. You'll just do. So those kinds of statements, even though the person who's making them, it might be in an attempt to lessen your worry, but really what they're doing is minimizing what you're going through, Totally diminishing what you're going through. There's no good cancer. The second you are diagnosed with cancer, your life changes. You know, I think most people we think we're invincible will be here forever. And you all of a sudden get a diagnosis of cancer and you realize that life can be short Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter what it is. 
does minimize that or diminish what you're going through. And even people who don't have to go through chemo or go through all the things, like you're still dealing with something that's so scary. Mm. I have another friend who has a mom who's recently been diagnosed with cancer, Mm -hmm. and he was sharing with me that it's uncomfortable because when he's home visiting his mom, nobody wants to talk about it. Like no one's talking about it. He really wants to talk about it. Is it possible that that's how mom wants to cope with it? What advice would you have for that person? That's really interesting. That is how Darren's parents handled it with Darren. I think that they're so worried that about their kid, they want to pretend it's not happening. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to talk about. So it's his mom that doesn't want to talk about it, and she's the one that has the cancer. So do you honor that? Do you push the conversation? Or maybe he's just assuming she doesn't want to talk about it. Maybe she doesn't quite know how to. I think honor it a little bit, maybe. Just everybody responds to you differently. But Darren would still be very open and share with his parents what was happening. They never really dove into it. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of let it be. It frustrates him for sure. It was a hard thing. But he it's like you can't change people. So it's how they handle that. Even like think about like my kids. They both handled Darren's diagnosis. Mine too, but very differently. Where Drew wanted to be hands-on with everything. And Maddie wanted to be outside, kind of looking in, but didn't want to know it all. Mm-hmm. Out of just fear. Yeah. But obviously, they both love him the same. It's right. just how they handle it, how people yep. handle it. Can you think of other things that family and friends probably shouldn't say? Well, I think another one is, what can I do for you? Okay. Nobody's going to say anything. You mean, so when you ask someone, what can I do for you, yes. you're putting the pressure back on them. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So my close like friends like in my neighborhood around me, they know I'm that type. I am the type that just, I'm not good at accepting help. They're like, can I bring you a meal? Can we do anything? I'm like, No, we're good. We're good. And so they know that about me. So they would say, hey, here's what we're doing. Just FYI. You know, so just do something. Like if you want to do something for a friend, just do it. Okay, let's say I reach out to you then and I say, Jenny, I want to start a, a GoFundMe for, for you and Darren. And that's not something you want. So is there a way, I guess maybe that's the thing to say, like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a GoFundMe for you guys. Would that be cool? Like, it's almost like I'm not making you come up with it. I'm coming up with an idea and saying, like, so how would that be all right? I think that's great to ask that because that's a big thing to ask, sure. just to create a GoFundMe for somebody or even I, we, uh, you know, we just went deer hunting, and we're going to bring you over some frozen venison. <laughs> As someone only from Michigan can understand, yeah, it. and you're so like, eh, I don't really want venison. Like, so that might be an example where you could say, like, oh, I really appreciate that, but I've recently decided to go vegan. Yeah. Yeah. Which you did. Yes. And again, if you are my friend or neighbor or you know what I'm doing. And so they understood that too. And they don't like not everybody's vegan. So they would even just drop off gift cards, even though they wanted to do something because people do want to do something. When somebody is going through treatment, they really don't want to see people. Well, you didn't want to. No. Some people might though. Darren didn't either. So I I think it depends on the person. So Darren could handle it in very small increments. So like if you do want food delivered or you want to deliver food to somebody, that's amazing if that's what they want. Just know that it's you're dropping it off and you're leaving. 
because some people, I had a couple of people come to me and I could tell they wanted to just come in and see what was happening. And I'm like, not in a space where I even want to dive into it. Okay. So then I think it's probably okay to, as a person who's going through this, say, you know, I really appreciate that. I hope you understand, like, I'm just not feeling too social yet. Yes. So that people don't feel like there's a problem with them, but more so you're... Don't forget about your friends. Still invite them to things. Like I would be so excited. We'd be invited to like a weekend, whatever, like out to dinner with friends or whatever in the middle of my treatment. And I still appreciated that because it made me still feel human. Don't all of a sudden think of your friend as just like this cancer patient and be like, oh my gosh, your friendship needs to stay the same. Mm -hmm. It might be a little bit different, but you still need to be the same person to that friend. Like our group thread, my girls, Shaleen and all the girls, I would get funny stuff. Like I wanted to laugh, still treat them the same. I remember you saying that one of the other things that was super crazy annoying was like every single person who was reaching out to you, telling you what you needed to do for treatment. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing that people think I'm being helpful Mm -hmm. by sharing with you that I have this aunt who went to this clinic, who drank only celery juice for whatever, 18 months and cured herself. Like, so what about those kinds of stories? Because I can understand why someone would want to say like, you know, same thing with Bob, like with Bob, with Alzheimer's, people will reach out to me. They're like, I have the cure. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, really? Mm -hmm. So you have the cure. (laughs) Right. I would get a lot of messages. And I think that people know that I research a lot. So that I'm the type of person that if they, you do have research, I'm like, sweet. Like I'll look at it. I'll look at it and I will try anything. That's my personality. Now, that's me. I know somebody that's going through it. Like I had a friend that was diagnosed after me and I knew her personality was she doesn't want to hear it all. She'll ask me when she's ready. She knows what I've done, but I think it's really important to just know your friend and know your boundaries and know where they are in you know, whatever the diagnosis is, what what stage are they in? And maybe don't give them all the things in the beginning because you're already so overwhelmed. Like I do remember getting a ton of stuff in the beginning. I have no idea what they sent me. None. It might've been really powerful. But as I was doing research, then I kind of appreciated it. You're just not ready for all that in the beginning. What about the people who ask questions that feel judgmental? Like, oh, you have breast cancer. Do you have breast implants? Or were you, did you drink Diet Coke? Like they ask these questions that are feel, let's try to pinpoint why this happened. Yeah. They, a, a lot of people would say, I don't understand because you're super healthy. How can this happen to you? And I'm like, if you're a woman and you're aging, the stats go up, you're higher. It's higher risk. It's one in eight women. You can be perfect and eat all the right things and do all the exercise and, and never drink alcohol, never smoke cigarettes, and you can still get cancer. Yeah. It's something within you where there's a mutation happening with cells. Like that's all it is. Who knows what triggers it? It could be environmental. Could be we don't know. And definitely don't ask. I've had people come into my house to do mold. I've done all the testing. So yes, you need to look at it. I'm just, I think, saying to the person that's asking. You as the individual that's gone through cancer, when that treatment is over, that in my mind is when the true healing begins. And that's when you have to dive deep into what changes you can make. Because obviously something that was happening around you or within you was making these cells mutate. So what? So then dive into like, okay, maybe I do need to change my nutrition. Maybe I'm too stressed. Maybe I need to slow down a little bit. Maybe I need to add exercise. Am I obese? Obesity raises your risk of breast cancer so much more mm-hmm. and breast cancer recurrence. Yeah. So 
just look at the things in your life. Like, what about my water? Like, we dove deep into research on water. I changed everything. I really, truly changed everything. I'm still the same person, but I changed a lot. Yeah. And I'm not perfect, though. Sure. And, And I don't think you should be perfect because that causes constant stress. Yeah. I shared my nails the other day, and somebody said, well, aren't you worried about doing that? I'm like, I hear you, and I get you. But you also need to live your life and you need to do the things that bring you joy. You can't live in a state of fear and worry. You have to do the things that, you know, are fun for you. Like people will say, didn't you stop drinking? Are you drinking? Okay. Like I definitely have slowed down. Not that I was a big drinker anyway, but I don't drink And you drink all organic. Totally. Or at least you attempt to, right? Yep. And clean and low sugar and yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a lot And it makes me happy. Yeah. I remember I even went to like an, an energy healer and that one of my issues was like, I'm worried about drinking. Like, I So I talked through any worry that I've had with people. And she said, if you're home alone doing this, that might be a problem. But if you're with friends yeah, exactly. and they're all drinking and you want to have a drink with them, you should. Because if you're sitting there mad that you can't, that's not good for you. Yeah. You're someone who made it very clear to at least your close friends, I don't even want you talking about me when I'm not present and, and worrying about me or saying, oh my gosh, poor Jenny. Like, I don't want that because that is negative energy that I don't want out in the universe. So don't do that. Don't come at me with sympathy or even empathy. Like, I'm fine. I got this. For me personally, there were times when I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. Mm-hmm. Jenna's cancer. I love that. Like I was constantly forgetting that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to reach out to her and see like how things are going or I would listen to your podcast. And I just wonder if there's any part of you that because of that, you didn't hear from certain people or you didn't get kind of the support mm-hmm. that maybe would have been nice to get that you're not going to get if you tell people, I'm fine. Is there any part of you that's like, well, you know, I wonder if because of that, there are certain people that just didn't say anything. Probably. Probably, but that to me is so important. What is the energy around me? I did that was the biggest thing. I did not want two people coming together and saying, Oh, did you hear about Jen Delvo? She's mm. got breast cancer. And like, I don't want that. I feel like that's bad energy. So one time I went to the energy healer and she's like, Something that's coming up is you're not supported. Mm. And I was like, Really? And I was shocked by that. She's like, but that's what keeps coming up. And I was like, well, I don't know. I do put it out there that I don't really want the support, but that's what was coming up. Mm. And did you change the way you approached it after that? Did you recognize that, gosh, maybe I need to let people support me more? There are certain people that, even if you're a very strong person, there's still that person in your life who has that impact on you where it's like their care feels different Mm -hmm. than somebody else reaching out and sounding worried or expressing their sympathy. I think that's super helpful. You've got a ton of episodes Mm -hmm. that I highly recommend people, even if you don't have cancer, obviously, like I don't, I don't have cancer Mm -hmm. and I have had cancer before skin cancer many years ago, but I listen all the time because you guys, your husband, you're funny. Your husband is freaking hysterical. So funny. Like, I never know what he's going to say. It's so shocking. No, it really is shocking. Like, he is pretty funny. So I, I highly recommend listening to it if, if, in fact, you have cancer or if you have a family member who has cancer or if you just enjoy laughing because a lot of what you guys talk about is just kind of health-related. Yeah. And I always say on this show, whether you're talking about fibromyalgia or brain fog, immune disorders, Alzheimer's, like all of these things, ADHD, mm-hmm. heart disease, the way to 
to cure all of these things, it's kind of the same prescription. Do these things. And you guys talk about a lot of those practices and you do your research and you offer a lot of help and guidance and support for people both who have been touched by cancer, but also with a difficult life turn of events and how you guys, you talk about your kids and how you cope with it and your communications and a lot of lifestyle suggestions too. So I highly recommend you guys subscribe. It's called Not Today Cancer. Where can people follow you on the socials? Jen Delvo. I also have another Instagram, Not Today Cancer. So I have two Instagram accounts. Two Instagram accounts. If you want to follow Jen personally, which I recommend you do, it's Jen Delvo, and it will be in the show notes. You don't have to worry about how to spell that. You can click on it while you're listening to this episode. I don't know if you guys know you can do that. Depending on which app you're listening on, you just kind of like swipe up over the art and you can see the show notes usually. And then you'll see Jen there. And then the other Instagram account is Not Today Cancer, which is the same title for the podcast. Jen, it's been awesome having you here. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Awesome.